Good morning, everybody. Nice to see everyone again. Now that uh, the holidays are over, kids are back in school, life is getting back to as normal of a rhythm as it can, uh, and it's nice to come together and bring all of that at the foot of the throne as we sit and worship and sing uh, songs of praise and, and, and sit collectively under His Word. And uh, as, as Barry was saying, that for the rest of the month, we're going to be having a focus on prayer uh, and just to see what God's Word has to say to us about our uh, communing with Him. But with it being the new year, no doubt that there are some of you in here that have probably made some New Year's resolutions. Uh, I'm not that kind of guy uh, because I'm one of the, the faithful many that start a resolution. If I start a resolution, I'm going to abandon it before the month is even over. And so if I want to do something, I'm going to make a commitment uh, at the time that it, it hits me. I'm not going to wait for a new year, but that's, that's a whole other conversation. But just imagine for those of you that did make a New Year's resolution, that instead of just trying to, to embrace this new thing on your own, instead of just trying to figure out your way on your own, you were actually able to get one-on-one counseling and training and advice from an expert in that field. Say you always had that dream of, you know, I want to learn an instrument. And so you were actually able to learn from whoever your, your favorite artist is, uh, be it guitar or piano or or maybe you just really missed out on playing that little recorder thing when you were in grade school. I don't know, but if you were able to learn at the feet of your favorite artist, just the impact that that would have on not, not just how you learn, but, but how you embrace it and, and just engage with it. If, you were, uh, if you're one of those people that, that wants to be more healthy and start exercising that you, weren't, you didn't just get like Joe Schmo down at, at Planet Fitness, which I, I'm not knocking them, it's just I, that's not my scene. But if you were actually able to get one of those, like the, the fitness trainers to the stars, that they, they pay millions of dollars to these people to help them get in shape. If you were able to get someone like that to help you uh, plan out a, a, a diet regime and, and exercise and all of that, the impact that that would have on the things that you learn. If you wanted to, to attack your finances and, and eradicate your debt, if you were actually able to not just call in on the Dave Ramsey show, but to have Dave Ramsey show up at your house and say, all right, here's your envelopes. I'm going to sit down with you and write out your budget. Like the, the impact that that would have on the things that you learn. Recently, uh, a couple of months ago, I, I got this itch uh, this idea, I've, I've always wanted to, to write my own book, and I've got my own ideas, and so I've got uh, some ideas to, to create a, a children's book. And in, instead of trying to figure out things on my own, I actually called up a, a local artist and author that I had met and asked him questions for an hour or two because he's gone through the process. He's already done it. He's done... He's done a lot of the legwork, and so he was able to give me advice on this new, exciting thing that I want to go through. And so I took my questions, and, and, and in a sense, I sat at the feet of someone who's already done it, 
and learned from him. Because one of the best ways to learn is to take your questions and your, your, your doubts and your fears to an expert or someone that's already been through it and to learn from them, to grow from the wisdom that they can provide. And as we begin this month-long focus on prayer, this is what we're doing with the passage this morning. We're, we're, we're looking at the Scripture of what Jesus says about prayer. Not just what does the Scripture say, but what does God in the flesh Himself say about communicating with God? And we're a lot like the disciples that He's teaching here in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Jesus is, has begun his Sermon on the Mount. It's one of his most famous teaching sections within Scripture. And in this passage, he's teaching on prayer. uh, And uh, not just prayer, but the the broader context of preparing the Christian life and preparing the heart for kingdom living. Not just living for your own standards or for your own desires, but what does it mean to live according to the kingdom of God? And so he's teaching these people and teaching us about what does it mean to have a prayer life focused on the kingdom. Who better to learn about praying, not just praying, but praying to God, than God in the flesh teaching you. That is the ultimate example of taking your questions to an expert. And so we see in this passage that Scripture teaches that godly prayer is dependent prayer. I'll say that again. Godly prayer is dependent prayer. Biblical prayer, according to the Bible, is a prayer of dependence. And in this passage in Matthew 6, there are three aspects that are revealed to us. In verses 5-8, through we see how to depend on yourself. In verses 9 through 13, how to depend on God. And in verses 14 through 15, how to depend on grace. Before I go any further, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together and worship you, to give thanks to you, and to sit at your feet and receive your word that you have given to us. God, I pray that You would pour out Your Spirit in this place. That You would be here with us, very present at this very time. That You would speak through a broken person like myself. That You you would bring Your Word and Your truth. That this wouldn't be mere performance or a speech, but that Your Word would take root in our hearts. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now the first aspect that we see in this passage is how to depend on yourself. And before you start questioning why I'm even phrasing it like that, let me, let me give the disclaimer that Jesus says, don't do that. But that's how He opens up. He says, this is what happens when you pray by depending on yourself. In verse 5, He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. The word for hypocrite 
actually gets its root in being a description of the Greek actors. Uh, it, for those of you that, have, that you might have seen uh, like the, the, the masks that have like the smile and the frown, the, the comedy and tragedy mask, those were used in Greek plays to convey emotion. And so whenever a, an actor wanted uh, to display what emotion their character was feeling, they would change their mask depending on the situation. And that's where we get our word hypocrite from, that it's someone who changes their mask and their appearance to fit in with whatever scenario is going on at the time. And Jesus says, don't be like that when you pray. Because these people are out there praying for everyone to see. They're actors. And they've received their reward. Uh, At the end of uh, verse 5, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Because their prayer is not a a prayer of of their heart. It's not a prayer of dependence on God. They're praying so others will see them. This is why in, in Matthew 23, Jesus says this about those same hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They're so focused on the appearance outside of looking like they're righteous and holy and looking like they have everything together. Wow, look at that prayer. That is such a beautiful prayer. They said all the these and thous, and they got all the, the language right. And Jesus says, they've received their reward because they've prayed for attention and they got it. And Jesus says in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, not going too much into the the nerdiness of the the original language here, but the way that Jesus says that that God is in secret, it's implying that God is in the secret place with His people when they pray. And so when Jesus is saying to go and pray in secret, there's a sense of comfort and reassurance there that God is with you in your prayers. You don't need to go out to the street corners or stand up in the middle of church and just start praying, receiving your attention. But Jesus says, go and pray in secret, and God is right there with you. Now, He's not condemning public prayer because obviously... Right after he says this, he prays in public. Jesus himself prayed in public. And so public prayer itself is not condemned, but it's the public prayer that seeks attention. And you might have seen people like this, that whenever you go out to eat somewhere, they're not just praying over their food, but they kind of make the announcement before they bless the food. They're like, we're going to pray over our Chick-fil-A, it, your Chick-fil-A has already been blessed. You don't need to pray over that because that's God's chicken right there. But, but the people that, that, make the, the, that make a show over praying for their food, 
It's one thing to give thanks for what God has given to you, but when you seek the attention of others through your prayer, Jesus says you've already received your reward because your prayer is for attention, not to give thanks. Or for those of you that are on social media, and I have to confess, I might be guilty of this myself, I probably am, but the people that kind of like to humble brag, the, the people that like to brag about the, you know, I've been doing my Bible study every single day, and they're not exactly sharing what they've learned, they're bragging about the fact that they've been reading their Bible. There are plenty of people out there trying to one-up one another and out-Jesus one another on social media saying, look at all the good things that I am doing. Look at all the prayers that I've been praying. Look at all the Jesus books I've been reading. And Jesus says, an attitude like that has already received its reward because they are seeking attention. They're not praying or giving thanks out of dependence. They're showing off their own effort and their own ability, and they have received their reward. Because those acts aren't sinful in and of themselves to to pray over your meal or to even share the things that you've been learning through social media, but it's the heart motivation behind it. And if you're anything like me, you have to stop for a moment and say, what is my motivation behind doing this? Am I doing this so everyone else can see that I'm trying to do all the right things, that I'm doing all the things that a good Christian is supposed to do? Are you doing these things, these prayers in public or sharing the things that you're learning because you're genuinely excited about what God has done for you and you are dependent upon what He is doing for you? In verse 7, he gives another way to not pray. Says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Because there was this uh, type of prayer that many of the, the Gentiles and the, the pagan worshipers would offer, that they were just mechanical repetitions. That it wasn't, there, there was no heartfelt sentiment behind it, but it was just they would wake up in the morning say this prayer and get on with their day. Or when it was their time to to come together to worship, that there was no emotion behind their worship, but they would just uh, have this pagan babbling, thinking that their many words and and utterances would somehow uh, please their God and and get His attention. One of my favorite instances of of this in Scripture is actually in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, where uh, Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal. And they're, they're having a, a competition of power and prayer. And so the, the priests of Baal set up this altar to, to make sacrifices to their God. And Elijah confronts them. And we see in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 26, it says, And they took the bull, this is the prophets of Baal, they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, 
And at noon, Elijah mocked them. I love that Scripture tells us that the prophets of God openly mocked pagan priests. But he says that Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. You can just see him laughing at them to their faces when they're trying to get their God to answer. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after, after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. This was very... Uh, 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 this was very much the manner that the, the pagans would worship, that it was just these, these utterance, utterances and babblings and, and dancing, and if their God wouldn't answer, they would, they would cut themselves, and there were even Old Testament practices of, of pagan worshipers like offering human and child sacrifices and, and, and many other things that I'm not going to cover here with children present, but there are ways that the pagans would worship that was actually a form of self-reliance. It all depended upon what they did in order to get their God to answer them. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. In verse 8, He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Before you even go to God in prayer, He already knows what you are praying for and what you are needing. And so Jesus says, don't come to God with all these words thinking that you can almost trick Him into giving you what you want or what you need. He already knows. I'll never forget when I was in college, it was the summer of 2001, and there's a missions group called YouthWorks. And I spent a summer in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as the, uh, uh, as the worship director for a site there. And every week we would have about 40 to 50 middle schoolers come in and we would plug them into local ministries around the city. Uh, but there was one, one week, uh, it, it was interdenominational. So we would have uh, like Catholic youth groups, Presbyterian youth groups, uh, Baptist, Methodist, all, all these different groups. But there was this one week where a Catholic youth pastor had brought a, a youth group, and it was the, the very last night they were going to leave the next morning, and he asked, can we pray over you? I said, yeah, that, I, I would love that. Thank you so much, because especially in, in a, a situation, any time in your life, receiving prayer is a good thing, but in, in that situation, I was just feeling dry and, and used. It had been a long summer, and I just desperately needed prayer. And so he said, can we pray over you? I said, thank you so much. I would love that. And then he says, I taught my students how to pray in tongues, and we would like to pray over you right now. And without getting into a whole conversation on spiritual gifts and all that stuff, it struck me as odd, but I was still young in my faith, so I wasn't going to confront him and say, no, 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 that's not true. And, but it was the weirdest thing because this youth group came around me and everyone laid hands on me. 
And then they would just start being mercy, faith. And I know it sounds like an exaggeration or even mocking, but that is, that's what happened. All this youth group just started mumbling until a word came to mind and they were told that this is what they were taught that praying in tongues meant. And it was the weirdest thing, but ever since then, I've always connected that prayer with this babbling and utterances of words, almost trying to say, well, if we can just stand here long enough and ramble on long enough, that we can say the right thing, that God is going to answer our prayer. And Jesus says that's not what prayer is. It's not standing there long enough hoping that God is going to show up because He already knows what you need and He is there with you when you pray. And instead, Jesus shows that godly prayer is a prayer that depends on God. And then He says, pray then like this. And this one phrase has actually brought a lot of controversy throughout generations because there are people arguing, now does Jesus mean that we need to pray this prayer exactly word for word and this is what we're supposed to say? Or does it mean that Jesus says that this is kind of like a model of how we should pray and we should just kind of follow the basic outline points? And I would say, yes. It's not either or, it's both. Reciting this prayer is a good thing because it's a prayer that God in the flesh Himself taught us to pray to God. But it's also a model that He provides for us to how we bring our requests and our petitions before the throne of God Himself. Pray then like this. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I'm not going to go into every single line and unpack everything in here because that's actually going to be next week's sermon. I'm going to, uh, we're just going to sit in the Lord's Prayer and, and unpack that because that prayer itself could be an entire uh, month of sermons on its own. I'm not going to do that, but next week we're going to unpack what that means. But this prayer itself, just looking at the overarching outline of that prayer, it is a prayer of dependence. And we, you can contrast the hypocrites and the Gentiles versus a prayer to God. Uh, but between the hypocrites and the Gentiles and Jesus' own prayer. It's a prayer of self-reliance versus a prayer of God-reliance. That instead of depending on their own action, actions and receiving attention, or if they do or say enough things that maybe God will show up and answer them, versus God, You are holy. Your will be done provide for me in my needs, and protect me from the evil one. It's a prayer of self-dependence versus a prayer of God-dependence. 
verses 9 and 10, praying to God who is holy in heaven, that His name is, is hallowed or holy. His name is set apart. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a, a prayer recognizing the position of God and His holiness over all the earth. The prayer for daily bread and forgiveness is a prayer for God's provision for Him to show up and provide the things that His people need. And to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is a prayer for God's protection over His people. Jesus' entire life was lived in dependence upon God. He relied on and submitted to the Father in everything that He did. Not just in His prayer, but in His actions. In His whole life. In John chapter 6, He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. That Jesus, God in the flesh, is God the Son, and He still submits Himself to the authority of God the Father. That Jesus Himself lived a God-dependent life and submitted Himself. And even if you're not one of those people that that prays uh, like the hypocrites or the Gentiles, if you're not seeking attention or just rambling or babbling, oftentimes, prayer just ends up becoming kind of a wish list. We just got through the Christmas season, and for those of you that have kids, you probably received some kind of a wish list of these are the things that I would like. Or maybe they, they wrote a letter to Santa saying, you know, Santa, I want these things. And a lot of times, that is how we bring our prayer to God. Not recognizing His holiness or our dependence upon Him, but we bring our prayers to God saying, God, these are the things that I want. Please give them to me. And we start viewing God more as a Santa Claus figure than the Holy Creator and Lord over all creation. And I want you to stop and think and examine your heart. Examine your own prayer Why am I praying this way? Why do I pray the way that I do? Because I am a firm believer that the way a person prays reveals the heart and motivation behind a person in prayer. The way that you pray reveals your heart and the way that you're approaching God. I'm not accusing the entire church or, or everyone that prays of saying that you're just praying for stuff. But it's a valid question that I even need to stop and ask myself. Say, why, am I, why do I pray the way that I do? Do I just want God to give me the things that I want? Or am I praying that God would submit my rebellious heart to His authority and provide for me in the needs of me and my family? What's the position that you take in prayer? Because Scripture shows how godly prayer is dependent prayer, not only by demonstrating the difference between a a dependence on yourself and a dependence on God, but it shows us here how to depend 
on grace. And this is possibly the most important aspect of this passage. Because every faith, every faith system or or belief system has some kind of focus on the importance of prayer. But Christianity alone uses prayer as a reminder of God's forgiveness and mercy. That it's not just a way to us to bring our petitions and requests to God, but it's a moment for us to stop and reflect on what God has already done for us and for His people and for His church. We see in verses 14-15, through 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And it sounds almost like an if-then formula. If you forgive other people, then God will forgive you. And it sounds very works-based that you have to forgive other people in order to receive forgiveness yourself. The difficulty is, forgiveness does not come naturally to the human heart. I don't know about you, but whenever someone has wronged me, my natural inclination is not, I should forgive that person. I want vengeance. I want blood. I want atonement. And so forgiveness only comes because I I am reminded that forgiveness was given to me first. But there's a connection between God forgiving you and you forgiving others. Because when you understand the forgiveness that has been shown to you, you extend that same forgiveness to others. This is why Jesus gives the parable in Matthew 18 of the the king who has a servant, and he calls him forward, and the servant owes him 10,000 talents. And I know we don't deal in talents or denarii in our... uh, monetary system today, but this is basically the equivalent of saying someone calls you forward and you owe them $10 million. The king calls his servant forward and the servant says, I'm sorry, I I haven't been able to do it and and please forgive me. And the king says, your debt is forgiven. Go in peace. And the same servant goes out and finds another servant that owes him Uh, It says a hundred denarii. And in comparison, this is about 30 bucks. So $10 million to $30. And the servant has the fellow servant thrown in jail until he can work off that debt and pay him back. And the king brings the first servant back and says, he calls him wicked and says that you did not show the same forgiveness that I showed you. And so now you not only... Is your debt back? But you're going to be punished yourself because you did not show the same forgiveness that had been shown to you. And this is what Jesus is talking about. It's not the sense that you have to give forgiveness to receive forgiveness, but when you recognize the forgiveness that has already been shown to you, it should motivate you and move you to extend that same forgiveness to others against you. Because the wrongs that have been done to you pale in comparison to the sin 
and the atrocities that you have done to the face of God. I've heard other pastors refer to it as a cosmic treason. That the sin that you and I have committed is spitting in the face of the Creator Himself. But when you recognize the forgiveness that God has given to you, that should move you to show that same forgiveness to other people. And this is why John says in 1 John chapter 2 that whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother, those two things do not go together. And that's why Jesus is saying that your forgiveness is tied to the forgiveness that you get show to others because it shows that forgiveness has taken root. It shows that you have truly received that forgiveness. If you're not showing forgiveness, you have not received forgiveness. Do not claim to love God and withhold mercy because when you understand, and this is the analogy that I've given students for years, when you understand this relationship between you and God, it motivates this relationship between you and others. When you understand the mercy and the forgiveness between God to you, or from God to you, it changes the way that you extend mercy and, and show mercy and forgiveness to others around you. When you understand that you yourself were born into sin and that there was nothing that you could do to change that, that Scripture describes you as scripturally or spiritually dead, not sick, not, oh, I could get better, but that you are dead in your sin and there is nothing that you can do to change that, but that while you were still an enemy of God, Jesus Christ died for your sins. To take your sins upon the cross and give you His righteousness so that you and I may be called sons and daughters of God. When you understand the impact of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, that should motivate you to show that same mercy and forgiveness and compassion and love to others around you. And if it doesn't, then I would seriously have to question, have you truly received forgiveness? Not trying to heap guilt but to give an honest examination and to ask, have I, do I truly understand what God has forgiven me of? Have I seen the depth and depravity of my own sin and the beauty and the glory of what God has done on my behalf? Not because you've earned it, not because that you might be good enough one day, but because God in His love and compassion chose to forgive you, and to call you His. What does your prayer life reveal about your heart? Are you relying in your own efforts, seeking approval from others, and trying to manipulate God with the words that you use? Are you praying in a position of dependence, recognizing a dependence on His mercy and in showing that same mercy to others. Why do you pray? Let us pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank You 
for the love that You have shown to us. Not that we have done anything to deserve it. Not that we have convinced You to love us. But God, because it pleased You to love us. And so we thank You for that. And God, we pray that as we pray and as we go out into the world, back to our homes and our relationships and work and school and everywhere that we go, God, we pray that we would be motivated by the love that You showed us first. Show us what it means to be dependent upon Your grace and Your mercy. And God, use us to share that same mercy, forgiveness, and love to a broken world around us. And we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.